Okay. Come on back. Come on back. Grab your Bibles. Would you grab your Bibles? And you could turn to John chapter 9. John chapter 9. And uh, I just say this. um, Just remember, too, that um, we have uh, corporate prayer every Sunday night at 7 o'clock. And seriously, I can't imagine, you know, listen, it's not my style to guilt anybody into anything. It's the Lord that does it, man. But how could you not be at prayer praying tonight and giving thanks to the Lord for all that He's done this week? Well, it's been a long time coming. Uh, But all of the news that we've received from Friday, I mean, praising the Lord for that, it's almost, I don't know, because for my whole life, the law of the land's been Rover versus Wade. And so I, I, I do this. I just, we, we're going to praise the Lord. But here's, here's what something I want us to pray about. How can we help? Let's not sit here and gloat and show off. But how could we be of assistance that the church would step up? I mean, gloat and show off for the Lord. But you, you get what I'm saying. How could we not? be people who would step up and help in this regard. Not just say, oh, great, and do nothing. I mean, it just doesn't make any sense. So, uh, and I know some of you, there's lots of you in this room who are doing amazing things in those regards. And so, God bless you. And how can we minister to people who are still hurting and wounded over this issue? And so, let's pray how we could do that. And let's think about that. But uh, we'll pray about that. And this is such an important time to, I mean, uh, I mean, it's just such an important time. What a time to be a Christian. How you can, against the backdrop of what's happening in our world, how the Lord can make you the light of the world in a sense. Like all the love of Christ pouring out of you, serving people, loving people, not just people that agree with whatever we agree with or you agree with, but what an opportunity to lay your life down. That's, that's where we live now. And so uh, I'm just thinking about that. And you know, here on a local scale, we have so many things going on that you can get plugged in. I mean, if you can carry a box or a ladder or uh, put up a decoration, you can serve the Lord. So we have VBS. They're going to decorate after this. There's going to be all week tearing down. You know, you could get involved there. Kelly Pizzuti is signing people up for how you can help us with narrow way to uh, pick up and or move or tear down or whatever they're doing. I want to remind you of one other thing. Tonight, 7 o'clock, prayer time. If you're able to come and pray, uh, come pray with us together. Let's pray together and thank the Lord and seek his face uh, in all these things we've been talking about. Okay. The other thing, though, is um, uh, you can serve in so many different ways now. I mean, you can carry, hammer, uh, do all those sorts of things, and uh, you can sign up. But there's one other thing I just want to be clear about. There's a thing called Pittsburgh Praise. 
I can't remember if it's July 10th or 11th, 10th. It's at, the gates at Heinz Field open up at one o'clock, but it doesn't start until two o'clock. I'm sure it'll be very cool that day. But anyway, all of Pittsburgh, the different churches are coming together in the stadium to worship the Lord and pray. And uh, I'm not exactly sure you know, with all the details, I just got back from Hungary, so I don't know. But we're going to meet here right after church somehow and caravan down there. And we're going to participate. And there's a sign-up sheet back there if you want to be part of Pittsburgh Praise. Okay? So that's what that is. And I don't think I explained that very well. And uh, anyway, I hope that helps. Okay. Chapter 9, the book of John. What a privilege it is to go through the book of John. What an honor, what, what, a, what a humbling thing it is to go through the book of John, to see one of these four gospel writers present Jesus as the Son of God, the God-Son. He really and truly is God. And that's what he's trying to get across to us. But also, as you're going to start to see, at the same time, he's man. He's a man. He's going to mention man several times here in the next few chapters. We are at the last six months of Jesus' life here uh, from this point on. We're at the last six months. This book wasn't written for chronology to tell you the history of Jesus' life. It's to present to you that Jesus is the Christ. It says it in John chapter 20, so I'm not real smart. I just read that uh, John is writing this so that many would believe or that anyone who, who uh, uh, will, will believe will be saved and you must believe that he's the Christ. That means he was the one predicted in the Old Testament scriptures, but also that he's the son of God. He is God himself here uh, taking on human flesh. Amazing. That's what this book is for. The book isn't to give you the history. It's to have you look right into the face of the S-O-N, the Son. It's to present who Jesus is. The other Gospels, although they do do that, they're presenting to us what Jesus did more, or more so in those Gospels. Here, it's who he is. And now we've gotten to this place where uh, uh, Jesus was at this thing called the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Tabernacles. That would happen for the Jewish people in the fall, in the fall. And they would celebrate God's provision and protection for all the times that they moved throughout the wilderness at the Feast of Tabernacles. And remember, at night, what would they do? They would light up either candelabras. Some people, extra-biblical sources say, that they actually would light up these massive torches on the edge of the Temple Mount. Why? Because God provided a fire at night and a pillar, you know, a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day. God's presence was with them. And God told them, in this feast, one of the seven feasts, I want you to remember how I provided in the wilderness. That's what God's saying. And even to this day, Many Jewish people during this festival will actually set up little camp uh, tents out in their backyard and still celebrate it because it was also called Feast of Tabernacles or Feast of Booths. 
uh, booths. Am I saying that right? Can you hear my, my Ohio accent came out right there? <laughs> creek, crick, you know, that kind of thing. But anyway, uh, uh, so that was the Feast of Tabernacles. And we examined that. I started it in chapter 8. Uh, Xander finished chapter 8. And that's one of the places, or is the place, where uh, Jesus makes an I am statement. Remember, there's these multi-level themes through the book of John. You ever heard the phrase, uh, talk the talk, but he also walks the walk? You heard that phrase, right? Well, see, the book of John is that. Here's what Jesus is doing through uh, the writer, by the Holy Spirit. He's telling you who he is. Talk the talk. He gives us these I am statements. Here they are in John 6. It was I am the bread of life. Uh, John 8, I am the light of the world. He'll go on later and tell us he's the door of the sheep gate. He's the door. He's the good shepherd. He's the resurrection and life. He's the way and the truth and the life. And he's the true vine. But Jesus also walks the walk. He doesn't just talk the talk. He does do that. It's important to know who Jesus is. But then Jesus shows us who he is through his deeds. He doesn't just talk the talk. That is important to talk the talk. He does both. And in this book, he gives us several signs to show us what he's been talking about. He's walking the walk now. And he does these signs or these miracles. Uh, interesting, I keep pointing this out to you. You're probably tired of it. He calls them in this book signs, not miracles. The reason he does that is because a sign has a meaning behind it. Like I say all the time, if you come up to the stop sign and all you see, you know, you see red, octagon, it is octagon, right? And you, all that sort of thing, you know that you're not to just blow through there. You know this. There's a meaning behind it. If you do blow through it, somebody's going to pick you up and they're going to give you a citation and you're going to have to go to the magistrate, and et cetera, et cetera, right? There's a meaning behind the sign. The same thing here. God is talking the talk by telling you, Jesus is talking the talk by telling you who he is through these I am statements. But he's also walking the walk by doing these signs. And what are the signs for? Well, the signs are always connected. This is so beautiful on so many levels. The signs that Jesus does meet a need. You know, there are some Christians in the Christian world that sometimes, and maybe I catch myself doing this. I hope not. I don't want to do this. They're in it for the notch on their belt. It's like, wow, I don't really look at you or pay attention to who you are, but I want you to get saved and live the Christian life. Yeah, that's good. But what about the human need connecting with people? See, Jesus always connected to the people. And here in these signs, these miracles, he's meeting a real human need because he has compassion. They're not just a notch on his belt. He pays attention to people. He listens. Ooh, that's convicting. To me at least. But, right? So that's one thing that the signs accomplish. But then, it's interesting, the signs that he does open up this amazing, or open up amazing spiritual truths. It also does that. And the final thing that these signs do, they prove that he's the Messiah. Because 
I don't know if you know this, because we're going to talk about a man born blind receiving sight. But in the Old Testament, in several passages, especially in Isaiah, listen to this, and the Jews would know this. One of the things that was going to mark the Messiah was that he was going to heal the blind. So Jesus is meeting a need here, but he's opening up a spiritual truth. We'll talk about that in a minute. But he's also declaring that he's the Messiah. See, you say, well, I believe that. I'm standing in here and believing that. Well, you do. That might be true. But there's several people out there that don't believe that. And Jesus here is proving that he's the Messiah. Now, with all of that, watch this. Now, as Jesus passed by, you must know the prior verse. See, last time in chapter 8, they took up stones when he said, before Abraham was, I am. They, they, they knew, the people that were talking to him, they knew, uh-oh, that one's claiming to be God. And so they took up stones, verse 59 of chapter 8, to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. He's still winding up the Feast of the Tabernacles. Going through the midst of them, and watch this, and so passed by. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't like when people throw rocks at me. I was getting punched and kicked for like a week here by five-year-olds, and I didn't really like that too much, but rocks intended to kill for, watch, watch folks, for things that I was saying that are true, I don't like it. In fact, in my humanness, I probably would have been saying, well, how in the world, how in the world can I get back at these people? But watch the next verse. Now, as Jesus passed by, if you don't think that the Holy Spirit uses literary techniques, well, you're dead wrong. Here, they're using a literary technique through the book of John. He's comparing and contrasting the passing by that Jesus had to do here with the passing by of seeing a blind person. And what he's trying to communicate, in my opinion, what I think he's trying to communicate here is, in the middle of drama, uh, uh, people uh, betraying you, uh, misunderstandings, uh, feeling not great, uh, somebody trying to steal your joy or even your life. In the middle of that, Jesus is focused on the um, uh, work and will of the Father, and so should you be. He doesn't say, oh, I had to pass by, so that no more passing by from me. I'll continue to pass by and watch this, see. It's such an important word here. (laughs) It's such an important word. I, I really think there's a spiritual thing that the Lord does when he puts his life into the Christian that you would see the marginalized. Come on, man. If Jesus was like us, and somebody was threatening our kingdom, so to speak. Like, like, oh, you know, the boss just said I was a jerk and I messed all of that up, and I know I didn't, so I'm just going to let that just dominate my whole life. Well, we wouldn't have time to see others. You getting what I'm saying here? Here, 
There's this literary technique I'm convinced that John is using by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, telling you that even though these were concerning, tough, dramatic, betraying things, he still was filled and passed by and saw people in need. He didn't let it distract him from the will of the Father. Are you catching this? Man, what a word for me. I'm a worrier by nature. Raise your hand if you're a worrier by nature. You ever like get a text at like at 10 o'clock at night or 9.30 or whatever from your boss or you know maybe an email and you like, man, why did he say it that way? I mean, and then you, your whole mind, you race and you hardly sleep. And then you get up in the morning, you, you kind of go talk to your boss and he's like, well, I didn't mean it that way at all. I just needed you to do blah, blah, blah. You ever had stuff like that? Well, see, I think this is what this is teaching us here. But even if the boss did say something that was inappropriate or wrong, look at this. Jesus, Christians, filled with the Holy Spirit, don't let that get them off track. We still see the marginalized, the hurting. That's what we're to do. Jesus models it for us. Here he goes. It's touching to me. When you come to church... What I tell people, if people ask me, how do I minister at church? How do I get plugged in? You know what I tell them to do? People say, I'm, they look at me like, really? Give me something better. But there's nothing better than about what I'm about ready to tell you. Come early and stay late. And don't just hang with the people you always hang with. Go over there and over there and over there and over there to the ones who aren't being talked to, or have, and then to ask them how they're doing, and then really listen, not just listen for a notch in your belt. Listen to them and make them feel encouraged, rejuvenated. See, that's what Jesus does. Here, uh, Jesus passes by. He sees a man who was blind from birth. Now, you're going to figure this out uh, by the time we get to the end of the chapter, by 2.30 or so, uh, when... <clears throat> That Jesus healed three blind people here in the uh, New Testament. One, he did by touch in Matthew 9. I think it's Matthew 9. Another, he used spittle, spit, in Mark chapter 8. Here, he does neither of those. He uses clay. I think here's another reason he does it that way. Some people try to make a formula out of how to heal. Jesus, there's no formula with Jesus. He does it different ways. But anyway, so here his disciples, or he, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And so this is a unique situation. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind? Who sinned? They had this faulty misconception that it had to have been somebody's fault to have this child born with a birth defect. Isn't that what they're saying? It had to be somebody's fault. You see, the rabbis at the time taught that a person in the womb could actually sin. Or the parents sinned in a really bad way, and God somehow got them back for it. That was their thinking. Now listen, it is true in the womb if you do certain things, right? You're going to risk the health of the baby. But that's not what they're talking about uh, right here. Uh, they're talking about this sort of generational curse here. And we've gone through generational curses 
at length. Ezekiel tells us that the soul that sins shall surely die. It's individual. But here they have this issue. Who's, who's the one? Now, I want, I want to just take a time out. I want to take a time out, and I just want to do a rabbit trail just for a second. Because I see in here amazing way that Jesus disciples people. Here's what Jesus does, first of all, if you'll notice. He brings people with him. If you're too busy in your life to bring people with you, pray about it. Because you're called to be a disciple maker and to be discipled. I'm called, as the pastor here, to be a disciple maker and to be discipled. And in order to be discipled, you have to be, A, willing to go along, but also to make disciples, you have to be willing to let people come along. And that's one of the great tragedies of American life. We're too busy. We want to just build our own kingdom. No, that's not what Jesus did. He brought people along. He taught them in the classroom sometimes. He used mountains and things like that. But he also brought them along. And he put up with faulty theology. Now, he didn't put up with it. If I can hear the legalists in the background saying, oh my gosh, Tim's saying he's putting up with faulty theology. No, but what I'm saying is he allowed the questions to come and then he would teach them. He would teach them and he was patient. And here's what he's doing. He's disciple making right here, but he's also doing something bigger. Okay. So now I'm coming off the rabbit trail. He's also doing something bigger. He's illuminating a spiritual truth. Why don't you turn with me to first John chapter one? This is the same writer, the book of John. Go to John, or for, did I say 1 John? 1 John chapter 1. I thought I said John again. Same writer in 1 John chapter 1, verse 5 and verse 6. This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you. That God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. Now keep going. If we say that we have fellowship with God and walk in darkness, <laughs> John, don't pull any punches now. If you say that you're fellowshipping with the Lord and you just keep walking in darkness, here's what John says. You're a liar. Woo. Now, I can see some people back there concerned. <laughs> this is... The pattern of your life is the trajectory of your life walking in darkness. Each one of us sins, and we surrender and confess, and then we move forward. We're talking about a pattern of habitual darkness walking. But if you do uh, uh, walk in darkness, you're a liar and you don't practice the truth. I'm a liar if I do that and don't practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, uh, here's the good news, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. There's a spiritual principle. In other words, listen to this. God, through Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, is the spiritual illuminator of the world. In fact, in the last chapter, you know, he said he is the light of the world. Now, he said a spiritual principle. He talked the talk in chapter 8, I'm the light of the world. And now in chapter 9, he's going to walk the walk. So here he says, neither this man nor his parents sinned. 
don't have faulty theology, folks. Just because dad was a, I don't know, I'm making something up, a womanizer or whatever. God's not going to zap your kids because of dad's sins. Now, we're all sinners, and we can sin, but I hope you, you get that. But here's why Jesus said he was blind. But in this place that the works of God should be revealed in him. It's not that anything was, you know, there was punishment here because the parents did something or the kids did something. A, number one, you got to know this. We live in a fallen world. And some of you are living with some of the effects. All of us are living with the effects of a fallen world. Some things don't go our way. Medically, physically, they don't go our way. But watch this. But God says, I'm going to use that situation, whatever it is, uh, whatever, <laughs> and I'm going to work in it and through it if you'll let me. And it's going to be beautiful and wonderful in its own way. In a way, you're going to come to know me in a way that you'd never know me without the problem. That's what he says. He says, neither this man nor his parents sin. Now, I'm not punishing anybody. God's not punishing people there, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. By the way, throughout John, let's just remind ourselves, what are some of the things he said were the works of God? One was just to believe, trust Stay there with the Lord. Abide in him. That's one thing. But he said the greatest work that Jesus does, that God does, is the cross. So you, by the power of the cross, whatever you're going through, and you are, there's lots of people in here going through difficult things. No one's patting you on the head and saying, suck it up. Nobody. But in the middle of that, watch, the, you're going to know and understand the fellowship of his sufferings in a way that you wouldn't know in, in any other way. Hmm. Wow. He's going to do a mighty work through the things that the enemy meant for uh, devastation. He's going to do a mighty work. And Jesus says, I must work the works of him, watch this, circle this, who sent me, who sent me while it is day. Jesus was sent from heaven. Man, is John multi-layered. Do you know why? This is all going to happen at a place called the Pool of Siloam. It's a really hard place to get to in Jerusalem. It's not like the Pool of Bethesda, which is right up on the Temple Mount. You've got to walk all this way down through, through Hezekiah's tunnel, get to the bottom of the city of David, and there's the Pool of Siloam. And guess what Siloam means? Sent. That's where this man's going to be sent, uh, uh, but healed at the Pool of Siloam. But he had to be sent there. Jesus was sent into our lives to heal us. You get it? Amazing. So here, watch. So I must work the works of him who sent me while it's day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, watch it. I'm the light of the world. I don't know that I ever caught this. Maybe I did before, but uh, he, catch this. This whole chapter 9 is to illuminate that Jesus is the light of the world. There's a deed behind the talk. So when he had said these things, verse 6, he spat on the ground, God bless you, and made clay with the saliva. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. Now this should raise some uh, things that you already know about the Bible. Where do we come from? The dust of the ground. 
Don't we come from there? Genesis chapter 2. We come from the dust. Oh, by the way, watch this. Jesus, who is heavenly, he's divine, also became a man. He's the sent one. And he is going to make clay this time from the earth, the thing. In other words, the writer here, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is trying to evoke the memory of the, of the Old Testament when God created the people out of the dust. And here, the same one, the Messiah, Jesus, if he can raise and, and create life, well, surely he can heal the blind. And if he can heal the blind, watch this, folks, he's the one that was testified to in the Old Testament. Isaiah several times says that the Messiah would give sight to the blind. Well, he goes and he says, and he says to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam. Folks, folks, folks. That, you, the, that faith meets the Lord's promises. Watch. The beauty happens. And here he goes. He walks all the way down to the pool of Siloam. If it were me, here's what I'd be thinking. Yeah, yeah, I believe. And, you know, and now I'm stubbing my toe and I'm falling over and I'm trying to get through Hezekiah's area and the tunnel has a little drop and he just, toom, I wonder if it falls off and he starts to see. And then he wipes it off and he can see and he can see and he can see. Oh, he would be so happy and relieved. Can you imagine? We're going to get into his parents here. He's never seen his parents. Gosh, I'm the sent one, Jesus is sort of saying. Now I'm going to send you. And when just a flicker of faith meets the will of the Lord, boom, the beauty happens. See, here's the problem in America. <laughs> we have promises like this one. Here's the promise. Uh, or, 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 or a command, and it could be something like this. Uh, if you want to be forgiven, you'll forgive others. There's a promise. But then something happens to you and you get slighted or backstabbed or betrayed and you say, you know, I know what the Lord sort of says, but it can't apply to her or him. It just can't. And there's no way I'm doing it. Well, see, what you've done is you've not stepped out in faith. You've not had the irritant so much where you walk to the sent place. You aren't going to the place where the Lord calls you. And the beauty never happens. And we store all these things up and we wonder why we're stuck in our Christian life. When God is calling you sometimes, just the simple things. Do that. Speak to that person, etc. Well, here he goes to there and the, uh, he knows that people, the people who were orthodox and by the book and and man-made traditions and uh, external religious stuff, now, there were some good Pharisees, by the way, but most of them, you know, external religion, and you're upsetting my apple cart, they would say to Jesus, and we're going to get you. They were ticked because he healed a man at a different pool, and he did it on the Sabbath day. And here now, he's needed, N or K-N-E-A-D-E-D, -E -E get it? He's needed clay, which was a violation of the Sabbath, and he applied it to the eyes, another violation of the Sabbath, man-made traditions. They're ticked. They brought him to the Pharisees, and it was a Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. You see what Jesus thinks of man-made traditions? Man-made traditions? Uh-uh. And here he provokes them spiritually. He goes on the Sabbath, 
And Jesus makes the clay and opened his eyes. And then verse 15, why, why do you think Jesus is doing that? He's trying to blow up external religion. You know, if you catch yourself, I catch myself sometimes, just be frank with you, being religious externally. And the rules and the regulations and the things that I got to do, instead of focusing on love and compassion and mercy, the Lord wants to blow that up in your life. Because external religion leads to anger and hate and divisiveness and, and uh, trying to get people and proving your point and always being right. And uh, don't you hate it? It's gross. And I hate it myself. And you probably do too. But that's how we can do American church sometimes. Well, here, uh, Pharisees also asked him again how he had received his sight. <laughs> Man, God bless this guy. By the way, time out, you never see him again, but I'm sure, don't you, aren't you, aren't you sure that he was a follower of Jesus from this time forward all the way through the cross? And you're going to meet this guy in heaven. So they said, well, how did you get your sight? And he said to them, well, he put clay on my eyes and I washed and I see. By the way, very simple, right? Very simple. And therefore, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. Remember, it's the man-made stuff that he's not keeping. And others said, well, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. By the way, if we are presenting Christ in the appropriate way, I have news for you. He's the fault line. If you stand up, in the middle of Colorado, and look down the Continental Divide. It's unbelievable and amazing, but here's what it does. And that's Jesus spiritually. Some people are going to fall to this side and say, you know, be quiet about that stuff. Don't bug me about that stuff. I'm living my life. I'll take my chances, whatever. The other people are over here and saying, oh, wow, thank you, Lord, you saved me. And they're trying to shout across the divide to come and be, be and, but no. And that's what Jesus does. He brings division in this sense. There are two kinds of people in the world, saved and unsaved. And I don't say that from a spiritually superior place. I say that like, wow, how did I get on that side? Well, they said, verse 17, to the blind man again. <laughs> they just, they're going to just irritate and irritate until they trap him. What do you say about him because he opened your eyes? Watch this. He says he's a prophet. Remember, formerly he said he's a man. Now he says he's a prophet. He's like, wow, Moses, Elijah, Elisha, they did some pretty miraculous stuff. This guy must be a prophet. But the Jews didn't believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they watched what they did. They called the parents of him who had received his sight, and they asked them, saying, is this your son? Is this, uh, uh, is this your son who you say was born blind? Now, when does he... Or how then does he now see? And his parents answered them and said, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but by what means he now sees, we do not know. Or who opened his eyes, we do not know. He is of age, ask himself. He will speak up for himself. And this reminds me, isn't this fascinating? If you were the parent of the son, or if I put myself in this position, I'd be so happy. Wouldn't you be happy? You'd be relieved, you'd be thankful, you'd be grateful, you'd be jumping up and down, you'd be partying, you'd just love the Lord.
But watch, now when he gets, they get threatened with some adversity, watch what happens. They're like, whoa, uh, you better just ask him, what's going on here? Well, turn over to Matthew. Turn over to Matthew. We were faced with this this week when sometimes we would share or some of the people in our group would share. Uh, Europe's a very hard place, folks. They don't want to talk about the Lord. They want to chill and be in the parks and drink red and white wine and hang out and listen to music and play ping pong. They love ping pong, and, and so did I, but they were too good for me. <laughs> but anyway, uh, and just, you know, it's just this European vibe, and they don't want to, it just generally, that's not something they want to do. So look at Matthew 10, verses 28 through 33, and you folks know this, these verses, but remember this. And do not fear those who kill the body but can't kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin and not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will? But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore you have more value than many sparrows. I love that he puts that in there. What he's telling you is, here's what all of you are going to tempted to do after I read this verse. I'm going to be better. I'm going to do better. I'm going to say more. I'm going to witness more. That's what you're going to say. You know what's amazing here? He says the only reason you'd really witness is not because of your self-will and discipline and all that, although that's good. He said he, the reason you're going to witness is because I love you. <laughs> that's what he says. And if you know how much I love you, watch this in verse 32. Therefore, Whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me uh, before men, him I will also deny my Father who is in heaven. Don't be a person who struggles and just goes, oh my God, I'm so terrible and I'm going to just conjure up more. No, go find out how much he loves you. And it will, watch this, 2 Corinthians tells you the answer, the love of Christ compels you. That's what propels you out into society and comes bubbling out of you when you talk to people. It's not your self-will and all that. The Lord wants to get rid of your self-will. So don't be hung up on that. Just find out how much he loves you. But look, these people, parents, they're new. It's amazing. They sort of say, well, we don't want to tell you. The reason they don't want to tell you is they'd be excommunicated from the synagogue. And they're fearing men more than they fear the Lord because they're not getting how much he loves them yet. Get it? So they say, go talk to him. So they do. And uh, uh, his parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had agreed already that if anyone confessed that he was Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. Extra biblical sources say it was sort of like being on parole. The first time you did something and messed up and the leaders came to talk to you, you'd get like a 10-day suspension from the synagogue. And then it would be something more like 30 days. And then it would be like a year. And then it could be your band. And nobody wanted that because you were out of society. Well, here, you know, uh, his parents said, well, he's of age. They're passing the buck. Ask him. So that they called the man again. <laughs> this is ludicrous. They don't believe. Watch what the man says. Who was blind and said to him, give God the glory. 
give God the glory. That is amen, except for what they're trying to do is they're saying, put your hand up and swear that what you're saying will give glory to God because we know it won't. That's what they're saying. Well, puts his hand up and they say, we know that this man is a sinner. And he answered and said, what an honest answer. Isn't this great? Isn't this the great answer of all time? Whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. But one thing I do know, I was blind, <laughs> but now I see. So beautiful. I want you to see something here. Take a little rabbit trail, but not really. I want you to just see something, and then we'll close up here in two hours. But anyway, <clears throat> I want you to see something. Jesus didn't turn this into a theological exercise. Because think about it. When somebody comes to you and said, well, did they sin? Did, did he sin in the womb? Did they sin? Is there something that the parents did? When Jesus, while the legalists, and by the way, I'm for good doctrine, and I bet you are too, and I think we should get our doctrine right, yes. But as one very well-known pastor I know, from a tradition that's not of the Calvary Chapel tradition has said, while they were tying their theological underwear in a knot, trying to debate all this stuff, Jesus was meeting a need. He was a real person that he had compassion on. And that's a big thing for us. Listen, I want to get my doctrine right. I think how we believe... Uh, dictates how we behave sometimes. But watch this. To just sit there in the corner and argue and argue and argue and argue and argue while people are dying. No way. No way. And Jesus transferred that onto this guy. The guy was like, I don't know. I don't know all the answers yet. Just, I'm just coming to the Lord. I don't know. But I know one thing. I can see, and that's what happens to the Christian when they surrender their life to the Lord. I don't know all the ramifications. I can't discuss five points of this or six points of that. I don't know if it's human responsibility or God's sovereign. I don't know all of that yet. I just don't know. But I know one thing. He opened up my eyes to the truth of who he is. He touched me by his son, and now the Holy Spirit lives in me, and I have joy I have joy and peace and strength. And so they watch this. They call him and said, give God the glory. And he answered. He said, I don't know. I just see. And then they said to him again, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? They keep asking him the same silly question. And he answers and said, I told you already. And you didn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? Isn't that funny? Isn't that funny? The Bible's funny in places, man. I don't know, what do you want to become? a This, this guy I love, he's got sarcasm for lang, uh, love language. I love this guy. Then they reviled him. Watch this. When you choose this side of the divide, when you surrender your life to Jesus Christ and you're on this side of the divide over here, safe, people are going to hate you. And he said, you are his disciples, but we are Moses' disciples. See, it's, gosh, if, if you figure this out, it's just, this is the only word I can think of. It's icky. It's just gross, this spiritual superiority here. 
hey, we got Moses, man. We know the, the five books of the law. We got the law. We, we got it all. We know that God spoke to, spoke to Moses. As for this fellow, you hear it? It's just dripping with condescension. Uh, I almost said condensation, but condescension. We don't know where he's from. And the man answered and said to them, well, this is tremendous. That's what he's saying. Why, this is marvelous. You don't know where he's from, yet he has opened my eyes. Do you know what that's like to a spiritually superior person? He's like, boom, he just punched him right between the face. I'm this guy with no clout, a beggar sitting on the streets, Nobody knows me in the religious circles, and my eyes are open and yours aren't? Wow. Yet he's opened my eyes. Now, verse 31. Now, we know that God does not hear sinners, and this is really interesting. Remember, I said that uh, Jesus wasn't turning this into a theological he was, uh, issue. This was something he wanted to heal somebody. He wasn't just trying. I mean, he was trying to connect with people. But now it's, it seems as if the guy remembered synagogue school. Get it? Sunday school, synagogue school. Anyway, he remembers synagogue school because in Psalm 66, Isaiah 59, Proverbs 15, it basically says that anyone who regards iniquity in our hearts, I'm quoting Psalm 66, God doesn't hear. We can talk about that for uh, another day. So, but, but what he is saying here is, I, I sort of know the scriptures too and sort of remember them, and we know that God does not hear sinners. And if he would say to them right here, listen, just track with me for a minute. If he would say to the people that were questioning him, do you remember where that's from in the Bible or the, the first five? They would say, yeah, we know exactly where that's from, Psalm 66. Uh, they know it, Isaiah 59. They probably used it a million times on people who weren't religious. Are you getting it? And here he says, God doesn't hear sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. Ah. Since the world began, it has been unheard of that anyone opened the eyes of the one who was born blind. He tells us that. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Now, I want you to see something. He just said for the third transformation, first he was a man, then he was prophet, and now he says he's from God. He's getting real close here now. And he's setting them up. He's saying, since the world began... It, I mean, come on, no one's healed the eyes of somebody who was born blind, not just became blind. I haven't said that yet today, but this is guy isn't somebody who got hurt after he had been able to see. This guy was born blind. Only time in the Bible that it's that way. This is like the exclamation point of messiahship. So if this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Then they answered and said to him, you were completely born in sins. Do you catch this? legalism, man-made traditions, external religion, you. Now that they've gone, you are the sinner here, they say. Is this man, or excuse me, they say, you were completely born in sins and you are teaching, or are you teaching us? And watch, they cast him out of the synagogue. The thing that they said would happen, happened. The funny part about this is, he's not going to die in his sins, the beggar. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. I want you to catch that again. 
you folks ever felt cast out? You ever felt alone? You ever felt like you were pursuing God and you felt like you were thrown on the trash heap? Well, Jesus sees you. <laughs> he knows. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and when he had found him, you catch that? Jesus goes and finds the ones who are outcasts. Wow. By the way, I know you're tired of my rabbit trails. You have the mind of Christ. You have the very life of Christ in you. Find the ones who are outcasts. Bring them to Jesus. Well, here's what he says. They, he heard they'd cast him out. And when he had found him, he said to him, do you believe in the Son of God? You see, it's come full circle from man to the Son of God. Why did John write the book of John? To convince people he was the Son of God. He walks the walk, but he also taught, or he talks the talk, but he also walks the walk. Here, he shows you that he's bringing somebody to the belief in the Son of God. And he answered and said, <laughs> so funny. He doesn't know everything. You don't have to be a know-it-all. Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? That's funny. He's standing right in front of him. And Jesus said to him, you've both seen him, and it is he who is talking with you. And then watch what he says. Well, that's easy enough. Lord, you didn't just talk the talk or just walk the walk. You did both. You talked and walked. And Lord, I'm convinced and here, I believe, and watch what immediately happened. Watch what immediately happens with a born-again, spirit-filled Christians. They worship Jesus. I mean, immediately. So, here he is. When there was a revelation of who Christ was to the heart of this man, worship. That's what worship is. It's been revealed to us, the heart of Christ. Man, we fall on our knees in worship. Who would ever tire of worshiping Jesus? And Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, that those who do not see me may see, and those who see me may be made blind. Now, I've got to make this point real quick, because some of you might be scratching your head. Does anybody in here, there's this little verse over in John chapter 3. I'm not sure you know it. You might know it. And it's verse 16. I'm being facetious. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Watch, 17. For God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved. Now go back over to what we read. Jesus himself said, for judgment I have come into this world. Wait a minute, are you going to judge when you come back and the first era was the era of grace, the first advent? Yes, that those who do not... Uh, see may see and that those who see may be made blind you see the goal of jesus first coming was salvation but watch the result of his coming is judgment it's the fault line it's a dividing line when you surrender your life to jesus christ oh you've been saved and there's no condemnation or judgment when you reject jesus you fall on the other place it's the result, and Jesus tells you right there. Then some of the Pharisees, verse 40, who were with him, heard these words and said to him, now watch. <laughs> Just put yourself there. They're going, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, that's all good. But come on now. They're saying it like this. But are you, come on. 
You saying we're blind? That's what the Pharisees are saying. Come on. But us, well, with the religious robes and the people who spend all our time here in the church and do all of these things. I mean, of course, we're not blind. And Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say we see, therefore your sin remains. What in the world does that mean? It's saying that any spiritual wisdom, listen, folks, and I'll close and be quiet. Any spiritual wisdom that you think you have apart from Christ is no wisdom at all. Any spiritual wisdom that you think you have, listen, you think you're great because you're an elder at the church or because you give tons of money in a box or, I don't know, you serve on 65 committees and try to run them all. You think you're great because of that? You think you're great because you belong to the country club and, you know, do this and do that and you're a great and you put the tie up and you're in the paper and you're a great upstanding citizen. See, Jesus just goes and says, I'm going to identify that issue right now. You're a sinner because you don't see the need for me. Whew. It's just like he's shouting a megaphone to all our suburban communities in the United States, and not just the suburban, all communities. If we could just build ourselves up and be you know, responsible uh, you know, citizens, and we should be responsible citizens, I'm not saying that, but, but, but you know, just depend upon community activities and education and be polished and buttoned up and be nice. Man, we're good and we can be saved. And Jesus says, you're blind. And the ones who are blind and know they need a savior, you're the ones that'll see. You see, here's the deal. This is what it means that Jesus is the light of the world. When he comes and touches you, everything comes alive. All things are lit up. And you instantly become a worshiper. Well, what should we do as we're going to have the folks come and we're going to sing another worship song? What, listen, what, what should we do? You, you know what we should do here? This is the work of God. This is heavy stuff. This is the work of God. You, you ever said to yourself, come on now, I just can't understand why she or he or whoever won't believe. Come on, you said this. I don't know. I mean, it's the work of the Father. It's the work of the Son. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. And you, you, you know what this drives me just to want to do? <laughs> Pray. I want you to think of somebody right now. Maybe, maybe it's you. Maybe you've been living your life and you've been trying to earn God's favor. Well, this blind beggar, he just knew it was. Just, I just need a touch from you, Lord. There's nothing great in and of himself. It's just he needed the Lord. It's like our own lives. But maybe you have self-reliance, confidence. You're just trying to live out your Christian life by, you know, being you and pulling yourselves up for your bootstraps, which is really not Christianity at all. Maybe you need to, and I need to repent of that stuff. Well, do it now while we're 
we're singing this song, but maybe you're thinking of somebody out there in your family or your enemy or a person that's hurt you and they need Jesus and they're blind. They don't see. They don't see things the way you see things. Guys, gals, when you turn on the news, there's going to be 50% of all of America that's not going to believe like you. What are you going to do? Hide from them? Not talk to them? Not love them? Well, you won't be doing what Jesus said. So why don't we do this instead? Why don't we not in a spiritually superior way, but why don't we get down on our knees and pray for people? That's what I think it drives us to do. Because this is a move of God for people to come from blindness to spiritual sight. Let's pray. Well, Lord, thank you so much for this uh, eternal word and all the good things that you have brought to us today through John chapter 9 and hearing of stories of uh, mission trips and the people who served and loved others. Wow. But Lord, we know as we move out of here, it's sort of nice in here and uh, quaint and we all kind of sort of think the same things and but but Lord we're moving out to a place where it's going to be hard and difficult and we need you we need your life we need your presence we need your guidance we need your direction and Lord help us to be people when we get rebuffed or reviled or betrayed not to be ones to harbor bitterness but to be ones to pray for our enemies pray for ones uh, and and ask that you Lord would take away this spiritual blindness and illuminate yourself to these people and people would come to know you in real and saving ways. Lord, I think we're convinced that the time is short. But until you come back, Lord, Lord, use us fully. Help us to lay it all out on the line as you work in and through us to reach people who don't know you in a real and saving way. Help us to find the outcast, the lost, the lonely. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.